0: In the unprecedented times of the 2020 pandemic, our country's digital divide became widely exposed, and the effects of increasing economic and digital inequalities became more apparent. As the founder and president of a technology firm, Ed Christmas questioned the reason for this, as well as the underrepresentation of blacks in the field of technology and entrepreneurship. On this podcast, Ed Christmas talks with guests about what is their why and the road they are on to bring our society to a place of greater economic and digital equality while sharing the good news of those making a difference. Welcome to The Road to Why, presented through the partnership of Cisco and Sology Solutions, a proud member of the African-American Cisco partner community.
1: Welcome to The Road to Why, where we highlight individuals and organizations that are making a difference and having an impact on our communities. I am your host, Ed Christmas. And I'm pleased to have joined me today, Miss Courtney Batiste, CEO and founder of the Batiste Project. Courtney, welcome. I'm glad we're finally able to get together. How are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful, Ed. Thank you you so much for having me.
1: You look great. We haven't connected in what three months?
0: It has been three months.
1: And I was amazed at what you're doing for our communities and K through 12 underserved communities. So wanted to have you on the show and share. A little bit about the Batiste project and what you're doing.
0: Absolutely so the Batiste project started out as originally as just a small project. I volunteered for a lot of organizations throughout actually the U.S. and what I found was that it would just be a touch um, here and there but there was never really anything consistent um, and the consistency was what was going to be key for any student. So there were times where I would work with elementary students, middle school, high school, even college, and I loved every minute of it. So that being said, spent quite a bit of time planning and trying to figure out like, what can we do in our own community, in our own backyard? So that being said, we started looking at building something, building a nonprofit, building an organization that these kids could show up and learn about technology. And that's where the Batiste Project came from. Yes. Yes. So we've been very fortunate. I come from a background where my mother was an educator for 20 plus years. Um, My mom, her name is Carol Batiste. I'm so proud um, to say everything that she did back in our hometown. Um, Unfortunately, she passed away back in 2021 from pancreatic cancer. Thank you. My mom was the first person I talked to about doing something along these lines. She's like, you're a natural born teacher. You love giving back. Why not figure out a way to educate students? So spent years developing a platform, a program and brought in a few key stakeholders um, that are on our board of directors to form what is now known as the BATIS project. So we now spend time focusing on underserved communities throughout DFW. We have very strong relations in Irving as well as Dallas and Louisville. So we've been very fortunate in continuing to grow and develop our organization.
1: So what's the mission or, or vision for the organization? Where do you see it going?
0: Absolutely. So while we're starting small in DFW, we do expect to expand throughout Texas as well as the U.S. I've even had requests even to expand into international waters because of the fact that we have a very easy entry into technology. And we want to focus on our K-12. They're our future. I always tell the story of eventually I would like to retire and I want to be able to hand over my legacy to the next generation. Right. Technology is what's driving us. It's where we spend our time, our effort, and energy. I mean, that's my full-time career, right. and I would love to instill that in the next generation.
1: So what what challenge? We, well, first of all, how did you get it off the ground? Because I would imagine you had a vision and you said, okay, this is what I want to do. Your mom was very influential. I believe your dad was as well, yes. with him uh, being a leader in the community. So, you know, how did you even start?
0: So, honestly, I do a lot of research, so I always have to take a step back and own some of my, um, who I am. So I do have ADHD and very proud of it. (laughs) I, I say that and it's probably the best thing in the world because I do do a lot of research. I talk to a lot of people. And it took a lot of trial and error. I'll be honest with you, there were some costly errors, mm. but ultimately we've gotten to a place where we're a little bit more steady. So with our board of directors, for example, everybody comes from a different walk of life, whether it be Kim Vance, who's been focusing on marketing, or Vincent Burrell, who's also in HR. These are people that have lent their influence into what we do. Um, we have another board member, Latrice Nervis. She's a parent who's active in Irving ISD, so much, in fact, that she draws a lot of influence throughout DFW, as well as at the state level, encouraging the curriculum for the students. And then our other two board members being Verona, Veronica Martinez, Shannon Rico. They're both in technology fields, and they've been coworkers, mentors to me that I value in the best way possible they've all had influence into building out the Baptiste Project. So it was a no-brainer for me to extend the invitation for them to join the board. And they continue to guide and motivate and push us to continue our mission.
1: That's awesome. And I know Veronica, so I know she's very good at uh, that type of support. And it's a passion for hers as well. Uh, Let me ask you, what challenges, you talk about underserved communities. I've had guests on the show that talk about some of the challenges. Joannis, for example, uh, as you know her, she says some of the school districts aren't ready. So what challenges have you faced in uh, focusing on underserved communities?
0: So I think the biggest challenge is actually showing up and being there. Um, It's hard because for some of these underserved communities, they don't necessarily have as much community support as needed. And I hear that quite a bit. I hear it very frequently um, with a lot of the districts that we work with. They have parents that are working all hours mm. because, honestly, I was one of those parents. Mm. I Actually, when before I really started my IT career, I was a single mom on welfare. Mm. And a lot of people did not know that. Wow. So the hours that parents need to be able to show up, sometimes it's not possible. It's not feasible because they're trying to make sure they take care of their household. And then when you get into like high school a lot of these students are actually working to also put money back into their households so we're trying to find ways to allow them to still learn as well as how we're going to be looking at building out internships so these students can be paid as we're teaching them and developing them so that's some of the challenges we've seen is making sure that we're stepping in as the community and supporting our schools even when the parents can't necessarily be there.
1: Absolutely. And we call that the struggle. And when I tell people the struggle, I think uh, America needs to be aware. It's a different lifestyle in some of these communities. You know, we talk about it all the time, you know, not having broadband, for example, not having grocery stores around the corner. So it is a struggle and it's real. Uh, With all of that said, uh, you've been very successful getting off the ground. Uh, Share a success story. Like, What have you seen in your efforts? As much as it's a challenge, uh, there's been success coming out of that as well. Can you share any stories?
0: Absolutely. So one thing, while we teach technology, and I'm very grateful for that, we also instill confidence into our students. So we did have one male student who came in and he started learning and he wasn't quite confident to say what he was learning. So we always would encourage everyone in the class to talk everyone to talk about what they've learned mm-hmm. even when you get things wrong that's okay right. like I tell them I get things wrong too you know how I learn? I go and google it right. I go and look at YouTube so I don't know all the answers so you know it took a few months to get him to open up so we had an event where we were at a community fair and we were talking about the Batiste project showcasing some of the technology and what we do And this one student, he actually set up all of our demos. He wanted to run the demos. Mm -hmm. He actually told us what he felt like would be instrumental in getting kids to show up to our table. And he was phenomenal. After the event, he actually sent a text message to one of our board members and told him, you know what, months ago, I would have never done this. I wouldn't have never had the courage to stand up and talk to people and I feel comfortable, I feel confident, and I'm looking forward to the next phase of being with the Batiste Project. And I'm, I'm saying this because I'm trying not to cry. But <laughs> 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 I promised Light my team out. I Light would it not out. cry, but it, it was a moment where it was very humbling for me because at that point, it made me realize that I'm doing the right thing, that we're all showing up for all the right reasons. Because sometimes they don't get that encouragement at home and I wanna be vocal about encouraging them.
1: Yeah. No, it's interesting, um, ties into your why, right? Uh, I ask myself, you know, why am I doing this show? You know, why did I start my company, Sology Solutions? And uh, it's interesting, since coming up with the idea, we've come in contact with all these people that have a similar passion. And I believe in uh, what you responded is, this is your way to give back. And in your statement on giving back, you brought up something that caught my attention. You said, I want to give the next generation options, accessibility, and the word you use, I want to give them confidence, and it's interesting you tell that story about the kid, but talk to me about confidence, because I've been a part of these communities. I've volunteered at these schools that you're going into. Uh, I believe they do want to contribute to society, and they're just looking for that way, but confidence is key, because they know they're at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we teach soft skills, networking, interviewing, and all of that, but The confidence isn't there. And can you kind of share what you're seeing and why do you think that is the case?
0: So I think confidence comes from just having the knowledge that you can do it, Mm -hmm. having someone listen to you. So one thing I always notice is that the students that some people would label as troubled would be the ones that want to be in my class. And I never understood why. i don't like, I'm thinking I'm the meanest teacher in the world. And they're just like, no, Courtney, you actually listen to them and you encourage them to talk, you encourage them to tell tell th- everything, anything about their day. You don't care what it is, but long as they're talking to you, you're actively listening to them and encouraging them. And I think that's a big part of having the confidence going forward. I even tell them the stories that of me growing up. I didn't have confidence. I mean, I was a chubby little kid, <laughs> Southeast Texas. And I mean, I didn't know what, options I had available you either worked at the refinery you became a school teacher or you worked in retail Mm -hmm. I would never even thought technology would be an option now I get to say I traveled the world and I got to teach other engineers about technology Mm -hmm. I get to spend my spare time teaching kids about technology this is another reason why I want to retire and tired of traveling and I'd love for somebody else to go in my place somebody else needs to go install a firewall in Aruba
1: I'm Mm -hmm. tired of doing those things got it Uh, Interesting, you talk about um, technology, and I know we started the show with the understanding that we, and when I say black and brown people, are not well represented in technology. So I'm asking, why technology? What do you see technology providing these kids?
0: They're providing them opportunities that they did not know were there. They're able to see someone that looks like them. For a long time, I was always the only woman of color in the room. I was very fortunate to have a lot of advocates. um, from Some of my really amazing leaders like Rob Castleman, Um, he was actually the first director to give me an opportunity at Cisco, Mm -hmm. which is where I am currently. Um, I've also had amazing leaders like Tony Carmichael, um, my leader right now, Heather Collins. They've all been very encouraging of having the representation on their teams and the more that kids see someone that looks like them that has a background very similar to them then they start to see what the art of the possible is and not their day-to-day surroundings so I want to keep doing that I keep showing up for that reason I will go from I don't know workshops to doing interview panels with kids just so they can see the representation because it matters yeah
1: It's interesting how you talked about some of these kids that I would call them at risk, right? Others, Mm -hmm. uh, teachers probably didn't want to deal with them, but all they wanted to be is heard, right? Isn't that all of us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes we're discounted uh, or marginalized. Let's talk about your journey. Um, I understand your mom and your dad being very influential in where you are today and the reason why you started the Batiste Project. Give me a little bit about your background. I believe you grew up in Beaumont, Texas, which yes. you mentioned it wasn't a lot. And I'm sure there wasn't STEM or STEAM programs down there back then. But how did you get into technology? What was that path?
0: Hannah, so that is a very funny story. Right. Sure. <laughs> So, um, yes, and it's funny because I graduated with a degree in human resource management, and I have an MBA.
1: Okay, good for you.
0: Never used it. Right. Not even remotely close. I realized it wasn't quite the right path for me. Um, So I have an older brother. His name is Michael, and he was the one that was like, he saw these guys coming in, making big money. He's like, my little sister could do this. So he gave me a book and a computer. And he said, here, build this. No instructions, nothing more. And I was like, okay. 24 hours later, I had a fully functioning computer. He's like, okay, if you can do this, then you can do anything. So he was the first one to start to encourage me. I started learning how to work with load balancers. I started learning to um, become a network engineer, which was my passion.
1: Where you working started. at
0: that time? I hadn't started working yet. Um, I wound up actually going to Netacad um, at North Lake. And I spent every waking moment in the lab, because remember, at around that time was when my daughter was born, and she was a preemie. Mm. I had her at 25 weeks, and so when, she, yes, wow. 25 weeks and one day, uh, my daughter was born. So when I returned back to work about 30 days later, my job actually let me go. Well, uh, when I came back, so I had no job, and I was struggling to figure out what my next step was, what how to make ends meet. And my brother was the one who was just like, you know, I could either teach you to fish or I can just keep giving you the fish. I'm gonna teach you to fish, cause you're smart, you can do this. So all of that being said, I spent every waking minute studying, trying to make sure that I was going to be the engineer that he thought I could be. I, I was self-taught in a lot of ways, but I also had great leaders. So my very first role, I worked for a government defense contracting company. And my first leader, his name was Gary Gallus. I will never forget that man. Wow. The role required 20 years of experience, but he was like,
1: you're so- 20 years.
0: 20 years <laughs> of experience. He's like, but you're so hungry for this that I want to bring you in. So he brought me in and I work with some very senior, very educated um, engineers like James Elmore, Brian Reeves, mm. all these guys, they just took me under their wing and they're just like, you know what, we're going to teach you. Um, I lasted nine months before I got laid off.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: but that wasn't that wasn't the bad part about it. I was laid off um, and I was scared, crying a lot. Um, but within two weeks, I wound up having, what was it, seven different job offers as well as wow. an opportunity to go back to my old role. And then I wound up leaving and um, taking a role with Southwest Airlines. Wow. And it was an amazing adventure. So I just continued... To grow and educate, and just learn so much in every role. I've been very fortunate to learn security to wireless. The one thing I never really got into because voice guys are a little territorial mm-hmm. was voice. Got it. But um, it's been an amazing journey.
1: So, for the audience that doesn't know what Net Academy is, can you just <laughs> explain that? Because it seems yes. like that was the. Uh, door to get you into technology.
0: It was. So Cisco Netacad uh, was the opportunity for me to come in and learn in a classroom setting. Above and beyond being in the classroom, we also had labs where we actually have routers and switches and I was doing configurations, hands-on, given scenarios. And I had an amazing instructor who put me through the ringer. Um, I will never forget, um, he passed a few years ago. Jerry Mosquito was absolutely the best. Anyone in DFW knows him to be the instructor to know. And I would spend hours. And then when I finished my NETACAD um, training, I actually went and sat for my CCNA exam. Um, But it was very much important for me to go through some kind of training to get there, especially being very green in technology.
1: Right. Absolutely. So you talk about Cisco NETACADEMY. some of your current role you haven't shared, but your full-time job, uh, and I don't want to say the other one's not full-time, but <laughs> uh, we know you're wearing dual hats. How supportive has Cisco been? By the way, Cisco's a sponsor of this show uh, and has been very good to Sology Solutions as a partner. So I'd like the audience to hear how Cisco has participated in your efforts and what you're trying to do.
0: Cisco has been amazing, from being able to use and leverage my time to give when I was learning and starting to build up, getting to the Batiste project, to even today. I have so much support from my leaders in my organization. Like I mentioned earlier, my director, Heather Collins, has been amazing. Rhonda Henley, like I cannot say enough great things about her. Um, It's been Great, because I always knew that I can come to the team and explain exactly what I would like to do, the passion, the vision, the energy. And that's what we actually put out into the world as well within Cisco, is that we do look to influence uh, the communities that we're involved in. So with, for example, our cybersecurity uh, practice, what we're focusing on is teaching our students right now about cybersecurity. Well, we actually go in and we teach at Carter High School in Dallas. And it's some of our security engineers at Cisco that are teaching the classes as well as some of our local partners that have stepped in. So I, I, I have to say, like, if it wasn't for Cisco, number one, I don't think I would have ever found my passion, nor would I have realized that such a huge corporation could be so influential as well as backing me and what my passion and dream is.
1: No, that's awesome. And yeah. I hear they're doing other things around the globe. Uh, I spoke with Brian Tippins, and he mentioned what they're doing in Africa, for example. So it is part of their uh, purpose, I guess. Uh, The term I heard from uh, several of the executives is uh, passion with a purpose, profit with a purpose. So uh, it's great to hear that they're supportive. Uh, I just want to switch gears and talk about today's environment. As you know, um, no matter what spectrum you're on as far as politics, uh, but I find it shocking that the statistics I read on the lack of cybersecurity resources in the industry as a whole, globally, uh, is staggering, and yet we have uh, potential resources that no one seems to be focusing on except the Batiste Project and some other one-offs. Why isn't there more focus on uh, preparing uh, the next generation to fill this void that's happening in cybersecurity, uh, at especially in the underserved community.
0: Absolutely, so I think it's hard to find when is the right time to introduce it. I think there's fear sometimes of starting too early or starting too late. We find that even in our elementary stages that students really do wanna know about cybersecurity. You just have to make it fun, entertaining, right. and understand the importance of keeping you safe. Just like back when I was growing up, there was DARE. It's no different when we talk about cybersecurity because your virtual identity is equally important. So I think it's, it was a point in time of figuring out where we needed to start to introduce it to students and how to get them actively involved. Because it's easy to do it for your high school. It's a little harder to do it for middle school. And it's like elementary, never mind. No, that's not the case. They're actually more eager and willing to learn anything you put in front of them. And so now, because we're starting so much earlier, we're gonna to start to see that statistics change. It's gonna take some time, but nonetheless, because we're starting at elementary level and pushing forward, I think that's gonna change over the next five to 10 years, if not sooner.
1: And I commend you for what you're doing, but can that scale, like, are we doing it at a larger scale?
0: So I would say for just the Baptiste project, We eventually would scale up, but this is where we leverage partnerships with other organizations that are doing something similar. There's enough space in this entire nonprofit industry to connect with other partners. So we do have, for example, a partnership with Bear Creek Tutoring. That's where we run our robotics program. And I mean, you sometimes have to realize that you have to interlink together in order to grow long term. And that's what's going to have to happen eventually when it comes down to cybersecurity.
1: Got it. So throughout this show, we've had guests on and the theme we keep hearing is building equity for all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have to ask you, you know, what does that mean for you when that term is thrown around?
0: So building equity is honestly making sure that the investment is widespread, that everybody has an opportunity, everybody has a little piece of that puzzle, because honestly, probably maybe 10 years ago, I probably shouldn't have had a seat at the table. Mm. Um, but now I get to actually build the table, and so now it allows for more people to come. But ultimately, it's giving everyone that equal opportunity and that same footing and just being influential into their future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a- And we talk about individuals making a difference in your life. You brought up a gentleman by the name of Gary. He gave you an opportunity yes. uh, that will never be forgotten, right? What can individuals or corporations do to uh, build on what you're doing?
0: Continue to be the voice in the room. Continue to advocate for those that don't have a voice. I mean, sometimes it's stepping outside of your own front door to see that there's something changing. Or even going and volunteering your time and effort to see what else is changing in the, uh, out in the world. I spent a lot of time we actually teach uh, classes out of Irving Public Library we're actually very well ingrained in their organization and it's intriguing to walk through and see where people are and how they're making sure there's somewhere for everyone to go and I think sometimes we forget about that. I mean COVID COVID pushed us all back mm. quite a bit and now we're starting to get back up and running and we forget that this world was already in a struggle even before then. Now it's reminding us that we need to spend the time and understand that everybody deserves an opportunity. Everybody deserves to have a voice. And sometimes you have to use yours. If you're a little bit stronger than the person that can't speak.
1: That's awesome. I'm amazed at what you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, We're going to stay in contact. Uh, I will ask for you to share with the audience. You know, how do people learn more about the Batiste project? Share it with the camera.
0: Absolutely. So, to learn more about the Batiste project, please visit our website, and that's www.thebatisteproject. That's T H E B A T I S T E P R O J E C T dot org.
1: Thank you, Courtney. This has been awesome. We're going to stay in contact because there's a lot more to do. And I think, uh, the passion between yourself and myself and others that we've met, uh, we could do great things. So audience, thanks. I hope this was helpful as far as what an individual like Courtney has been able to do and build a team. And her passion uh, for making a difference is amazing. Thanks for joining us today. And until next time, be blessed.